This is Jason Hansen, pastor of Anchor Church. Thank you for jumping onto our sermon podcast. My prayer is that as you listen to this sermon, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus and that you live for him in all of life. Enjoy the sermon now. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. This is where we are this morning. If, if your Bible's like mine, it's entitled, uh, in Mark chapter 14, The Plot to Kill Jesus. And uh, this is really the beginning of um, the last act of Mark. The beginning of the last section of Mark, where we, we're going to find Jesus' ministry culminating in Jerusalem in his death and his resurrection. It's, it's really, I mean, church, let's just be honest. If we didn't have uh, Mark chapter 14 and following, we wouldn't be here as a local church. The reason that we gather together as a local church is because Jesus Christ, the King of all things, came to die on a cross for us and to, to be raised again from the dead. And so we, we, um, you know, we, we enter this last section of Mark uh, in a bittersweet way, because it's the death of the King, the death of our Lord, the death of the one we worship, um, but it's also the reason why we worship. It's the reason why we, we gather together. Um, as I was thinking about this text in particular, in Mark chapter 14, the first 11 verses, um, I was reminded, because I was trying to think about, okay, what is God, you know, as we think about the, the, the Bible, what does this text say to us? What, what do we need to take from this? What is it that the, the writer uh, to, you know, the, the writer, Mark, what is it that he wanted us as a church to get from this? As I was thinking about that, it reminded me of um, being in, in college, one of my first years in college. Uh, the years after um, I, I uh, was suspended from Mesa Community College, I didn't care about those years. When I actually cared about college, um, and I went to class and I did my work, um, I remember one of, one of my professors, we got our syllabus, as we, you, you do, and I remember him saying, uh, now everybody listen, I want you to put your syllabus down. Um, you are going to get, if you're taking a full load, you're going to get four or five of these pieces of paper. It's going to tell you what, you know, what the class is about, uh, what the expectations are of the professor, probably what kind of assignments you're going to have, the breakdown of, of where you're going to get your grades, all of that. It's going to be in every one of your syllabus that you get, that you get the, today. You know, as you're going through your classes, you're going to have a lot of them, which means that, that throughout this next semester, you're going to have a lot of assignments. You're going to have a lot of tests. You're going to have a lot of finals. You're going to have a lot of reading to do. And he said, I would really encourage you as college students to try to figure out in your uh, classes the cost to benefit of the work that you're doing. Because if you don't do that, if you don't look at your syllabus and say, okay, um, I, I can do all of the work, but the reading, I think that I can probably get a 92% without doing the reading. If I do the reading, I can get a 98%. Is it worth me spending all the time in this one class to do all the reading, especially if the reading is like 5% of your grade? You're going to want to try and figure out what you actually have to do based upon what, you, what you're supposed to do because if you try and do everything and you also have a job and you also have a girlfriend and you also do this and you also do that, you're going to kill yourself. He said, so I would just really encourage you to have a cost-to-benefit analysis if, if, if I do all this reading, the 300 pages that is here, is, is the cost to me time-wise worth the outcome? 
And quite frankly, for me as a student, I was like, this sounds really good. Like, I like this. All right, what do I not have to do? This is great. I actually used that all through college. It helped me so much because I just thought, okay, that's helpful for me to, to know as I think about this. Maybe it's okay for me to get a B in this class and not an A if it saves me some time and I don't have to do all this. So I, I thought through all that. But it's this cost-benefit analysis. We use this all the time. When you go to the grocery store, you think, okay, is the, co- is me, the cost of me buying this, especially right now, right, is it worth it? Can I, can I get by without this? How, how am I thinking about this? Is this cost-benefit analysis? You, you think about, okay, when you're dating somebody, uh, there's a cost-benefit. Is this, is this person worth me dating, given the fact that I know I want to get married and I don't know? We're trying to make these decisions, cost-benefit analysis. In schooling, you make these decisions. Um, one of the ways that we make these decisions, especially as Christians, this cost-benefit is, is it worth it for me currently with what God's asking me to do to worship him in the ways that he's wanting me to worship him? Is, it, is the cost worth it for me? We make this decision when we decide to follow Jesus, and I think we're making this decision constantly throughout our discipleship. He's calling me to worship him. He's calling me to follow him, and we're making these calls. Is it worth it? Is, it, is the end of it worth it for the cost for me? Because I mean, it's going to cause me to, to say that I, I can't do the things I want to do. I can't live the way that I want to live. I can't date the person that I want to date. I can't sleep with the person I want to sleep with. I can't, um, I can't you know, do the, do the very things that, oh, I'm craving and I want to do. Is it worth it for me to follow him and worship him in very individual moments as we think about our Christian lives? Now, we would never say it that way. We would never say, man, I really want to do this. Jesus isn't worth the cost to worship him, so I'm just going to do what I want to do. We wouldn't call it that because that sounds really bad. But that is what we're doing. We're constantly making decisions whether or not the cost is worth it for the worship. And we're going to see that here in in our text this morning. Um, And I'm here to say in our big idea this morning uh, that Jesus is worth what it costs to worship him. Just as a maybe this is a reminder for you. Maybe some of you are thinking this morning, um, you know, you're wondering, should I follow him or not? Maybe you're thinking, my parents told me to follow him. I don't know. Maybe you're trying to think through things like, I want to be a Christian, but I don't know what that looks like. Uh, and, you're, and you're trying to make decisions. Maybe you're a young person and you're just trying to figure out what it means because it seems like all of your friends are doing one thing and you don't want to go the opposite ways. You just want to follow what they're doing, but man, Jesus is calling me to something different. What should I do? I'm here to tell you this morning as a reminder, Jesus is worth what it costs to follow him. And the question that I would have for you this morning is, um, is he worth the cost for you? I can tell you all day he is worth the cost, but what about you? You have to decide, is it worth it to live for him and not to live for you? And as, you know, p- part of the Christian life, or the major part of the Christian life is discipleship and growth. And that, it's just m- many decisions that say, um, am I going to follow him or not? That's, that's where we're going this morning. Uh, let me just tell you kind of in more specific detail, we're going here. I have two questions and a warning from our text this morning. Two questions that we're going to see from Mark chapter 14, 1 through 11, and a warning. And then we'll break it down a little bit and figure out how we can live it out. That's where we're going today. 
as we have and we see this plot to kill Jesus, we want to take a look at it specifically. Let me read this text, and then we will uh, we'll proceed and break it down. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, says this. It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. This would make it Wednesday. Okay? So here, Passover is going to be sundown Thursday. Uh, in, the, in the text, the way that they would say two days before would have been the day before. I know that's confusing. Um, but it would have been like, it's two days. Today and tomorrow, that's two days. So the way that they were talking about it here, it would have been uh, essentially the day before. That would have been Wednesday. So here we are. We're Wednesday of Holy Week. Friday, Jesus is going to go to the cross. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a cunning way to arrest him and kill him. Not during the festival, they said, so there won't be a riot among the people. If you remember, you probably don't. Let me just remind you. Back in chapter, four, uh, back in chapter 12, they had this exact same conversation. We should kill him, but we're scared of the crowds. And so here, they're having the same problem. There's crowds here. And let me just say, uh, the reason why they're so afraid of the crowds here is because this is the Passover, meaning that all of these people would have come into Jerusalem. They, they don't know what the number is, but Jerusalem wasn't big at this time. It was not like a major city. Right now, there's over a million people there. It wasn't like that. Um, it would have, the, the city would have grown to maybe five to ten times its size, maybe two hundred to 300,000 people, they're not sure, would have flocked into that city, which would have been significant for them. Walking through tight crowds, they, they were scared of what the crowds would have done, and so they're, they're still terrified of that. They're trying to figure out how to, to do it in a cunning way, how to arrest him in a cunning way. Verse 3 says, And while he was at Bethany, which is about a mile away, it's down the hill, while he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of every, a very expensive perfume of pure nard. This would have been uh, highly valued. This would have been from India. It would have been something they would have brought in. Um, we're going to see that it was worth about a year's wages. So here she has this and she brings it to him, and she broke the jar, and she poured it on his head. But some were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they began to scold her. This is including the disciples, by the way, who probably made up a large portion of the people in that house. The disciples were like, what are you doing? They didn't get it. As they haven't gotten into Mark, this is just constant, again, right? They don't get it. They begin to scold her. And Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you. And you can do what is good for them whenever you want, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let me just make an aside here. Jesus isn't saying you shouldn't feed the poor. Jesus is saying the time to feed the poor is always. The time to anoint my head with oil is now. This is the only time what she's doing is worthy of her doing this. It's not neglect the poor. He's not saying, okay, no, no, never care about the poor or the needy. He's saying, he's saying, you can do that tomorrow. Tomorrow I won't be here. 
That's his, that's his point. Verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard this, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. Like I said, the, this, is, this is a Wednesday. This is the, the Passover is getting ready to start on Thursday. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread would happen right after that. This is, this is a combination of two things in the Jewish world. This is the Passover, which celebrates the, um, the passing over of uh, the angel of death in, in Egypt. If you know your Bibles, maybe you don't. It sounds like a weird story. Um, but the, the angel of death in, in Egypt came over the people of, of Egypt when the people of Israel were, were captive there. And the only way that it would pass over the house is if the people would put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of the house and stay in the house covered by the blood of the lamb. And then the angel of death would pass over that house. The firstborn wouldn't die in that house. If there was no covering of the blood, then that, the, the firstborn of the home would perish as a punishment for holding the people of God hostage and captive. And this was a celebration of that, the celebration of the Passover, which if you can imagine, even as we talk about Jesus' death, if you can think about that, the imagery and the actual foreshadowing of what's going to happen here on Jesus' death at the Passover uh, can't be missed, I don't think. I think we have to make sure we understand there's a reason why the death of Christ happened at the Passover. And there's a reason the death of Christ happened also during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Passover was a one-day celebration, Thursday to Friday. The the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a seven-day celebration, happened on Friday through the week. So the, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus happened at the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, was a remembrance and a reminder of God's provision in the wilderness through the manna. They were to remember God's deliverance for them. We actually celebrate this sometimes because on, we, on Sundays because we grab little wafers that don't taste like anything. Um, they have no leaven in them. And we eat it as a reminder of the death of Jesus for us. In some ways, we're, we're constantly aware of the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the deliverance of God. We just celebrate it not in the manna, but in the body. And so we're, we're observing this as well. This is the time frame. This is the time frame that we have of Jesus here. And there's two questions and a warning that we see. I'm I'm, I'm sorry, not two questions, two decisions and a warning. Okay, the first decision is this, a decision to remove him. We have this decision to remove him. We have these these people here, these these, uh, leaders of Israel. They're trying to plot. They're trying to find an opportunity to make this decision to remove him, to destroy him. They don't like him. They don't want him around. We see this here in verse 1 and 2. It's the day before Passover. The chief priests, the scribes, looking for a cunning way to arrest him and kill him. This is a plot. They want him removed. They've made this decision to get him out of the way. You know why? Here's why. Because what he was saying and the things that he was calling them to, and the ways that he was challenging them, and the ways that he wanted them to live out worship of God himself, uh, was not compatible with their ideas of what worship was. 
They didn't want to listen to him. They didn't want to obey him. They, they counted the cost. What would it cost us to follow him? And they said, uh-uh, not worth it. As a matter of fact, so much not worth it that what we should do is not listen to him. We just don't want him around. We've got to arrest him and we've got to kill him. Let's just get him out of here. Some of it was power-driven. They were the high ones. And what he was calling them do, to do was to take a step back and say, actually, you're not the authority. They didn't like it. And so they want to take him out. They want to remove him. The cost to worship him, the cost to follow him for them was not worth it. And they said, let's get him out of here. But there's another decision that's made. They made a decision to remove him. But there's also a decision made by somebody else to not remove him, but to worship him. And we see uh, that this worship of him comes at a cost. It's a high cost. This woman enters. She's in uh, Bethany. This would have been uh, where Mary and Martha um, lived. And Jesus had spent time here in Lazarus. If you know the story of Lazarus. And they're at this house of Simon the leper, reclining at the table, meaning they're having a meal. And a woman comes in with this very expensive uh, jar of perfume. Now, when I, we talk about a year's wages. When I first started working, I was a teacher, I made $30,000 a year. Now, this was 2002, so it went a little further than it does today, just a little bit. Um, and if you had told me when I first got that job, like, oh my gosh, $30,000 a year. If somebody said, hey, uh, here's a $30,000 jar of perfume. Why don't you go smash it and just dump it out? I'd be like, you're crazy. I made this in a year. You know what I can do with this? This would take me from $30,000 to $60,000. That's, that's like life-changing, right? This is, what is, why would I smash this and dump it out? I'm not going to do that. And this is kind of the response that, that she has when she breaks the jar and she pours it over his head. She's anointing him with oil, with this perfume. She's anointing him. She's, she's saying, essentially, you are worth more to me than this jar of perfume. I, I want to anoint you. Now, anointing of people and pouring perfume and oil like on feet and things like that was common because they're walking around with sandals and they're stepping in things horses leave on the streets and they're doing all this kind of stuff and it's, everything's stinky. And so they, they wind up using perfume to cover it up. She doesn't pour it on his feet. She pours it all over his body, all over his head. And it's, you can just imagine this perfume is just covering him. You are worth more to me than this. And the people in the house don't get it. As a matter of fact, the people in the house think that she's foolish. The people in the house make it a moral issue. Think about how much you could have been uh, giving to the poor. You could have sold this. If it's, if it's in my early paydays, $30,000, you could have you know, fed a bunch of poor people in Phoenix for a long time. Why are you wasting it? What a waste. What a waste of money. And we don't know a lot about this woman. We don't know who she was. There's speculation of who she is. We don't, it doesn't tell us here who she is. But to her, whatever encounter she had with Jesus, whatever it was that he did for her, whatever it was that she saw in him was so life-changing. It was so transformative. It was so 
radically different from what she had experienced from anybody in the past. It was so um, radical in her life. It was so something that was unique that she couldn't help but take her most expensive item and destroy it for him. There's something about this. This is an act of worship for her, and the disciples and Simon the leper and all the people in the house don't understand it. Again, going back to this very theme that we see constantly, and we're not done with it yet, that the disciples seem like outsiders. They don't understand the value of Jesus. When the other people here who are unnamed, we don't know her name, even though he says that we're going to remember her every time the gospel's preached, we'll remember her sacrifice, he still doesn't give us the name. This unnamed woman Uh, Her sacrifice, she gets it. She understands the value of Jesus is worth more than any monetary value she may have. And the people in the house, they don't understand it. And there's something more because she's giving him an offering, essentially. She's giving him an offering of worship. She's coming in and saying, I... I I trust you enough, I love you enough to give you all of this, all of this. I want to pour this on your head as as a token, as a sign of my affection, of my love for you, of my trust for you, of my worship of you. Take it, Lord. This is yours. And what we see is that it's not just a simple, one dimensional thing that she's doing. Her trust of him, her worship of him, her pouring out the perfume on his head is not simply left at, and that was a nice thing to do. What God is doing through the sacrifice of the woman, what God is doing through the worship of the woman, can't be missed. It can't be uh, uh, overstated, and it can't be understated, because what Jesus says is, she has, this is verse 8, she has done what she could, meaning she has given what she could to me, and she has anointed my body in advance for burial. What she's doing is actually uh, something way deeper. She's actually preparing Jesus for his ultimate death. This is a, a foreshadow of what he's about to experience. And let me just push pause for a second because sometimes we think about the daily walking of life. We think about the daily living of our lives for Jesus. We think, okay, what does it mean for me? What is it going to cost for me to follow him? What is it going to cost for me right now to live my life? Some of you live your life every day and you're thinking, it's a daily decision. How do I trust him today? Maybe some of you are experiencing that now, right now. You have a situation in your life, you're just thinking, Lord, I'm fighting really hard to believe you. I'm fighting really hard to trust you. I'm walking with you now, but man, it is hard. It is difficult because there are so many things in my life that don't seem like they're going the way that I want them to go. And it doesn't seem like they're going the way that a God that would love me would have them go. And yet you're choosing in those moments to follow him and to trust him and you're holding on to your faith. That is an act of worship. It costs you something. It's costing you a lot sometimes. Mentally, emotionally, you're walking with him. Some of you are just thinking about, you know, as you're thinking about following him, it's decisions to make. I like my sin over here. Oh, I got to give this up. I don't want to do this anymore. And it's costing you something. You're giving up parts of life to follow him. Affections, as you're walking this out, let me just say this. In our daily worship of him, back to the, the woman, in our daily 
worship of Him. We have no idea what God's doing. It'd be really nice to know what God's doing all the time. This, this woman had no idea that when she went into her house and she heard that Jesus was at Simon the leper's home, she, she went in and she walked into her house and she grabbed that alabaster jar and she was walking to his house preparing to do it. She had no idea that what God's higher purpose was, what God's higher plan was, was way more than what she was even planning on doing. She was doing something in the history of God, in the, in the sovereignty of God, in the work of God that was not even planned by her. She had absolutely no idea. Do you know why? Because as John Piper, who's a pastor, said, in every one thing God does that we see, he's doing a thousand things that we don't see. And so as you daily, in your daily life, as you are walking with God, as you are making decisions to follow Him and trust Him and to worship Him on Sunday mornings or on a midweek or, or somewhere, as you're just making decisions to say, I don't want to live my life for me. I want to live my life for Him. As you're doing that, you don't know what God's doing. But let me just encourage you, He's doing more than you think He's doing. And in this situation, He is doing more than she thinks. His body is being prepared for burial. And she has no idea. Her point here is $30,000, $100,000, whatever this thing costs, I'll give it to him. Any, any day of the week, Lord, take it. This is, I don't care about this. What about you? What about me? Because a lot of times we think about cost and we think, oh, I like my life the way that it is. I don't want Jesus messing with it. I'm messing around with this. We, we, we want to take a, a cue from her because she is just saying, whatever you want, Lord. Whatever the call, whatever it costs me, it doesn't matter. Even when people, listen, even when people think we're foolish, like everyone else in the house, She's foolish. And Jesus says, uh-uh. She's doing something for me that is precious to me. Jesus was worth it to her. He was worth the cost of worship. But there was one person in the house, even though a lot of the people in the house didn't understand it and they were questioning it, there was one person in the house who at one point had said Jesus is worth it. But I now made the decision to say the cost of this is not worth it. And here's a warning for us. Because Judas, who was one of the twelve, he was one of those who had followed Jesus. He had been with him the whole time, through the Galilee region, through Capernaum, all the way down for the years that he had, he had been with him. He had spent time with him. He had seen all the miracles. He had seen him do everything he did. He heard the gospel preached. He heard it all. And here we have him finding the situation in the house with the money, as we've, we actually find this out in another gospel, he's so offended by this, not because he cared about the poor, because he was a thief, stealing from the money bag. So offended that he goes out, it says in verse 10. He goes to the chief priests, the ones who were looking for a way to, in a cunning way, to arrest him and to kill him. Uh, he went to them, and he told them that he would betray Jesus uh, for them. And they were glad and they offered him money. For him, the money was more important. 
For him, there was something more important than following Jesus. At one, listen, here's the warning. At one point, he looked at Jesus. He looked at him, and he, the miracles were amazing, and the people were amazing. And he was like, oh, man, I like being a part of this community. It's great. And Jesus is great. I, I, man, I can't believe he's, he's healing people, and he's doing all this. Ah, this is amazing. And then, oh, somewhere, I don't know when, but somewhere the thoughts of, is this worth it come in? I could, what about the money? I could have more money. Do I really want to sleep on the ground? You know, do I want to be traveling all the time? Jesus keeps calling, talking about dying. I, I don't know if I want to be a part of this anymore. And over time, the Lord, the, the idea of following Jesus, the worship of him became less and less to the point then where he just said, enough of this. And make no mistake, listen, I, I believe, this is my theology, once we choose to follow Jesus, it's his work in us. He changes us from the inside out. If we have the Spirit of God in us, we can't lose the Spirit of God. He will, he will be faithful to complete what we started in the end. The question is, there are some times where some of us are going to make a decision to follow Jesus, not because God's doing something in us, but because we like the feeling of it. Oh, we just like being around him. We, we like what's going on, but we haven't really made a decision to follow Jesus yet. We're just kind of like being around him. And at some point, we get to the spot of like, that's going to go away because you realize the Christian life is not all rosy. The Christian life is hard. It's hard to follow Jesus. It costs us something. And when we, we, we begin to count the costs, there might be some of us in this room who have not yet decided to follow Jesus. We just like being around the people who do, or we like the idea of Jesus. But when it comes to the actual nuts and bolts of getting on the ground and saying, it's going to cost me something to follow him. It, it actually is going to cost me something. I can't just be around the people of God and say I'm a Christian. You're a Christian because you've chosen to submit yourself to the king. And when that king starts to say, hey, you know what? This part of your life, I'd like to remove it. Like Judas, sometimes we're tempted to go, mm. especially if we're just playing the part. Are you playing the part? I think statistically speaking, there are people in here who are playing the part. You have not yet chosen to actually say, Jesus, you're the king of everything, the savior of the world. I want to submit myself to you, whatever it costs. Here's my alabaster jar full of whatever it is. You can take it, break it, it's yours. I don't care about this. We, we haven't made that decision yet, some of us in this room. You're just here because you like the community and you like the idea that there is a God. But, but submitting yourself to the king, listen to what I'm going to say, is, by definition, life-changing. Now, I would argue it's life-changing for the better, but make no mistake, it is life-changing. It changes you. It changes your priorities it changes what you care about most. It changes how you view life. It changes what you're called to. It changes um, what, you know, what's inside us to come outside of us. It, it's it's life-changing. For some of you, it means it changes friend groups because some friends will reject you if you follow Jesus. It's life-changing. And the warning here is don't be the person like Judas who is just around because... Because at some point, if you have not made a decision to say, I want Jesus to be mine, to be the king of my life, you will come to a crossroads 
We're going to have to choose. And like Judas, it could be that you choose to say, it's not for me. And I'm here to say, um, Jesus is worth what it costs to worship him. He's worth what it costs to worship him. The question is, is he worth it for you? Is he worth it for you? I can't answer that for you. That's for you to decide. That's for you to answer. Is he worth it for you? Are you more like Judas and the priests and even some of the people here who are just like, it doesn't make any sense. Why would you give up all of this for Jesus? Or are you like the woman who's saying, whatever, Lord, this is nothing for me. I'll give this up for you any day. That's worship. I have a question and, a, and one thing to, to consider as we think about living it out. The first question is this. Do I see him as worth the cost of my worship? That's a question for you to answer. Do you see him as worth the cost of your worship? Now listen, I said he is worth the cost. Let me remind you what they celebrated at the Passover. This is the Passover and the in the, uh, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, because this applies to us. We're about to take communion. Let me just remind you of something. Christian, if you are a Christian, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you have figuratively taken the blood of Jesus and you've put it on the doorposts of your body and your heart, and you've said, I don't want to die without being covered by the blood of Christ. Because if I die without being covered by the blood of Christ, I have zero hope in eternity. I am separated with him forever. I don't have any joy in my life. Death means actual terror for me. There, there is no hope. The creator that made you is the one who says, trust in me. This is the Jesus part. Trust in me. Cover your body with the blood of the covenant, with the blood of Jesus. Cover with me because then the, the passing over of death will happen and you will spend eternity with me forever. This is the joy of the, the believer. Death for us as a Christian is not a terrifying thing. Death for us is simply a doorway into a better life. It's like what Paul says. He says, you know, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I live here. I live here for the sake of the people. I want the gospel to go for. But man, being with Jesus forever is way better than this. And so we see that as we think about him being our Savior, we want to understand that is what we are celebrating. That's what we celebrate on Sundays. That's what we see him as. Why is he worth it? Because it's without him we have zero hope. Without him we have zero joy. As Paul says in Ephesians, you were once dead in your sins, but God made you alive together with Jesus through his death. We, we have this reality that we are, were once dead in our sins, now we're made alive. We see a lot of this in the Old Testament as well. The whole book of Hosea. If you haven't read the book of Hosea, it's about, um, at the very beginning, that God comes along and he sees us as those who are abandoned on the side of the road. He's talking about Israel. But it's like a baby abandoned on the side of the road and God picks up the baby and cleans the baby off and carries him into his home, adopts that baby into his own family. That's what he's done with you. He's taken you helpless, lost, abandoned, and said, I'm not going to leave you here. You come with me. You think, is it worth the cost to follow him when you think about who he is and what he's done for us? I'm here to say, Jesus is worth what it costs to worship him. After all, he's given you everything you have anyway. 
We, we want to make sure we understand that. But you have to answer that question. Do you see him as worth the cost? And if you don't, if you're unsure, if you're not sure, I don't know if he is, let me encourage you to talk with somebody who's been a believer for a long time. Talk with me, talk to somebody else, and just say, help me understand this. Maybe you're a high school or junior high student, and you're like, my parents keep talking about this. I don't understand it. Talk to your discipleship group leader because I want you to understand he is worth the cost. Do you see him that way? And my second live it out point is this. See him again. We can't, we can't just stay at like, oh yeah, one time seven years ago I made a decision to follow Jesus and that was good enough for me. I'd say no. We want to constantly make, um, make uh, traverses, walkings, uh, meanderings to the cross. We want to see him again. We want to understand what he's done for us because if we don't, we're going to begin to forget the sacrifice and the cost of what it took for him to save us. And then we get to the spot of like, is it worth him? Is it worth it for me to worship him? Is it worth it? Because there is a cost here. Is it worth it if we don't often make a time to see why he's worth it? We're going to forget why he's worth it because you know what? You and I, we're just people and we're distracted. Oh, I should say, I'm distracted if you're like me. I'm assuming you are. We're distracted and we need to be intentional about this, which is why things like um, communities and huddles and even, quite frankly, even serving teams, times to gather together in a community of Christians where we laugh together and we talk together and we're spending time trying to understand who Jesus is together, why they're so important. Sunday morning gathering together is really important and things outside because it helps us to see Jesus again. Because church, we have, to, we have to grasp it that Jesus is worth what it costs to worship him. We want to we be like the woman. Julie, I'm going to have you come on up. We want to be like the woman who says, whatever it is, Lord. And, and God's doing things in, in here that, that she doesn't see, but, but it's, her, it's her worship of him that is of note. Other people said, it's not worth it. And the world is filled with people of both sides who say it's worth it, and there's a lot of people who just say it's not. And church, as, as the church, we want to make sure that we understand that it is our calling to proclaim to those who say he's not worth it, they don't understand, they don't see, to tell them why he is. This is the, this is the evangelism part of our lives. This is proclaiming this gospel, this good news to people, to tell them he is worth it. This is, our, this is our calling. This is what we are called to do. What if we were people who constantly said, I, want to, I just want to go out and tell people why, why Jesus is worth it. Why is he worth the cost to worship? May it be that we are a beacon of light to those around us and that we are a beacon of light to those in the church to remind one another why he is worth it. May we do that. May that be our May that be our, uh, essentially our calling card that people would just look at us and say, man, Anchor Church, they just love to talk about Jesus. May it be so. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing and take communion together. Lord, I, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, to be those that remember and see why it is uh, that it's worth it to follow you. That it's worth it to worship you cause our hearts to burn, Lord, to, to give of our lives for you. Lord, when we
close our eyes for the last time here and we see you face to face. We open our eyes and we see you, Lord. May it, may it be that our, our first response isn't one of um, disappointment that we, that we held back, but those that are so joy-filled that we were able to, to give you all of us. Lord, be with us. Lord, help us to trust you Help us to see you like this woman saw you. Lord, thank you for the the death uh, that you died for us and the resurrection. Thank you that we we can gather as a church to worship and to sing these songs of praise to you because you have been so good and so kind to us. Lord, help us to trust you more, Lord, as we live our lives for you. In your name, amen. I really hope that you were encouraged by the sermon today. You can learn more about us at anchorchurchgilbert.com. We'd love to have you join our mailing list. You can do that on the website. If you have any questions for us about who Jesus is, please let us know through our website. I hope that you were encouraged.